Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What do you want for Christmas this year? A violin, a dinosaur. This is working. Drums at a kid. All right. Well, that's a thing. So, um, For those of you who are adults in here, do you still make a list? Is that something you still kind of jot out and, you know, slowly convey to other people. Now, there's kind of this old, cliche, boring trope. It's like, what do you want for Christmas? Well, it's like, I want world peace, right? Like, I just want everybody to live happily and in harmony. And, and sure, that's a, that's a really great thing to aspire towards. And, and so we see throughout songs that are often sung this time of year that there's this kind of general sense of like, we want this great narrative to unfold. So I don't know if you're familiar with the song by John Lennon, uh, Happy Christmas. He sings a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. War is over if you want it. War is over now. Or in another song John Lennon sings, it's a song called Imagine. And he sings, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. And so Lenin is doing what so many in our culture do. It's conveying this general sense of we want peace. We want things to be okay. And have you ever heard somebody talking and, you know, maybe they don't believe in God or maybe they just don't use that language. And they'll say something like, the universe is being really kind to me today. Like, at our heart and at our core... We want this sense that there's a benevolence behind all of this world. We want this sense that there's something over it all that is guiding it, even if it's from afar. 
And you see this conveyed a lot in our sense, like in our society, think of the cultural values that we hold dear, right? Inclusion, tolerance, like these these are not bad things in and of themselves, right? They're actually quite beautiful. Like everybody has a seat at the table. That's a beautiful notion. Now, if you ask the question, how do you get there? That's usually when the narrative sort of loosens up a little bit. The, the, the beautiful thing that you're aspiring towards takes on a different tenor because, because the question always is, that's a great idea. War is over if you want it, John Lennon sings. Well, I want it, and it's still not happening. So the question that Advent asks us consistently is, how do we get there? How do we get to the place where war is over? Because I want peace. Whether we're talking about armed conflict or whether we're talking about the anxiety that riddles my soul, I want peace. War is over if you want it. Well, John Lennon, I want it. And so I think the question that we begin to ask ourselves at this time of year is what would it mean? What are the things that make for peace? Luke tells the story, he says in Luke chapter 2, he says, In those days, a decree went out from the emperor, his name was Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. In the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger. That's right, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now Luke tells the story in a very particular way. He starts the story in chapter 2. He says, In those days, in the days of Emperor Augustus, Augustus was, in many ways, a manifestation of the Roman Empire. He was the one who really consolidated it and made it into, took it to the heights that it, it rose to. And Augustus had this certain sense for putting things in their right place. He knew that for Rome to be all that it could be, he didn't need to just be the most authoritative ruler, that he had to, to, to work with the imaginations of the people. And so Augustus, not only did he establish himself as the supreme ruler of all the world, he began to suggest that he might be divine. And he began to sort of enlist others to, to, to support this claim. If you're familiar, I don't know if you're from your high school or your college literature classes, Aeneid wrote um, his, uh, Aene oh, excuse me, Virgil wrote the Aeneid. And in the Aeneid, Aeneas visits the underworld and encounters his de deceased father, Anchises. And Anchises, while Aeneas is walking through the underworld, prophesies to him about a coming son of God through whom a great peace is going to be established. And Caesar Augustus, as he rose to power, didn't just proclaim that I am over all, you must all be under my authority. He proclaimed that he had brought peace to the entire world. Now, outside of one of his homes, there was this large statue that was found a couple of centuries ago. Joanna, you can put the picture of that up. And in this picture, we see Caesar Augustus, and Caesar Augustus is 
triumphant. He was declaring victory over all. And on this breastplate that he's wearing here is a depiction of his victory over the Parthians in like 39 BC, one of the decisive victories that consolidated the Roman Empire. And this little guy right here, isn't he cute? This is some sort of Cupid-like figure. And what that figure is suggesting is that Augustus is descended from the line of Venus, that Augustus is divine. And you see him with his finger pointed, and he's directing his, his ways of peace and order to all the world. You see, Jesus comes to a culture and a society that is saying that we have all the things that we need to make for peace. That Rome has all the things that, would, that would, uh, the world would require in order for there to be peace and order in the world. The, the biblical scholar N.T. Wright writes of Augustus. He took the title Augustus, which meant majestic or worthy of honor. He declared that his adopted father, Julius, Julius Caesar, had become divine. This meant that he, Augustus Octavian Caesar, was now officially, wait for it, the son of God. Son of the divine Julius. The word ran out to the world, which Rome was quickly conquering. Good news to everyone. We have an emperor. The Son of God has become king of the world. Now, friends, if you've spent any time in church, all of that language sounds very familiar, right? It's usually not applied to a Roman emperor, but that language of Son of God, good news for all the world, like begins to check some boxes in our heads. Augustus is saying that we have all the things that make for peace. We have it. We can conquer. We can make it. We can mold the world into our image. It sounds a little bit like our own culture in many ways, doesn't it? Luke goes on. He says, in the midst of this kind of world, in the midst of the, the, the machinations of Caesar Augustus, and notice who directed the census that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. It was Augustus. And so Luke is making a very subtle but important point. He's saying that the rulers of the world will do what they're going to do. They're going to count their things. They're going to order their people so they can tax them and use them. But as the rulers of the world are working, as those that would claim to be divine, as those that would claim to be over all are working in their supposed power, God is doing something underneath the surface. Far from the centers of power, God is doing a unique thing. And he's doing it even through, even through the way that Caesar Augustus is trying to rule. And so Caesar Augustus says, let's count the people so that we can tax them. And this takes the main characters in our story today, David, or Joseph and Mary, to the city of David, to Bethlehem. And in Luke 2, chapter, or verse 8, it goes on. It says, In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so we have this reference to Caesar Augustus. We have this reference to this, the, the seats of power in the world. And then suddenly we're transported to a nowhere place and nowhere people. You see, shepherds were low class. They were often ceremonially unclean because of their work with animals. If you read Leviticus and you see some of the stipulations placed upon people who work with livestock, and the stipulations placed upon them being able to come to, to the temple or to the tent of meeting, 
Shepherds were often uh, sort of, uh, they were seen as sort of suspicious people. They often had disputes with the townspeople. You can imagine if you own a plot of land and a bunch of shepherds are walking through, you're not exactly going to be like, hey, can your livestock eat all of my grass, please? It's not something you want to do. Now, I would be into that because mowing the lawn is not super fun. But shepherds were kind of a, they, they existed on the outskirts of the society at the time. And it's interesting, isn't it? that the story then locates itself there. That God is doing a new thing in the world. He's doing something that will fundamentally and thoroughly change the world. And where does he go to start that project? He goes to a lowly virgin woman. He goes to a barren woman, Elizabeth. He goes to shepherds on the outskirts of the town. And it says in verse 9, Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. Friends, I've said this to you every week because it is a fundamental thread that runs throughout every one of these narratives. At every turn, when heaven shows up to earth, people's response is to be terrified. When you see heaven in all of its glory, your response is to shirk away. But the first word that heaven has to say to earth is this, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will be for great joy for which people? For the powerful for the shiny and bright, for the ones who have their stuff together, for the ones who, who are doing it all well, who can keep uh, their type A personalities and make sure that they check off all the boxes and their discipline is always on point, to the ones whose Instagram feeds look amazing. No. This is a joy for every single person. And the people that it's announced to are lowly shepherds. Heaven says to us, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for every single person. Friends, this is God's heart. Good news, drawing near, speaking a fresh word to every single person that we might not be left in our hopelessness, but there might be a way forward. Luke 2 verse 11, to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, these shepherds were good first century Jews, and so they had some general sense of what the Messiah would do. This word Messiah is is the word we often see uh, translated as Jesus Christ, Christos in the Greek. And we see uh, this word Messiah is not just Jesus' last name, it's a title. It, It designates a kingly role, And often the expectation was that the Messiah would come. And they had seen glory days in their past, the people of Israel. They had seen this King David as he had ruled and reigned and established an empire. And they longed for that again. And and the expectation, again, this is not, there's no way to like unilaterally say this is every person's thoughts. but, But the broad expectation for the people of this culture was that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to defeat the pagan oppressors that kept Israel in bondage, much like Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt, God was going to send a Messiah for a new liberation. And so the angel announces, to you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And people are like, let's go. Like these Romans are the worst. 
You know, it's, it's like the sense that people have about their political opponents in our own culture. You know, you see this in our culture. When anybody is talking about politics, whether it be right or left, the other side is always the worst lot of humanity in the world. And so the people of Israel, they had this sense that the Romans, like, obviously, like, I may not have all my stuff together, but the Romans, they are the worst and what, what the angel is saying is that in this day, a Messiah is coming. And the expectation that these people had was that this Messiah was going to liberate them from the Romans. He would be this great conqueror, this king that they could get behind and say, that's our guy. And in verse 12, Luke writes, this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And we come back to kind of where we started. What do we long for? What do we want to see in the world? But well, we want peace. We want peace in this big biblical way of seeing it. The peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of goodness. It is the presence of beauty. It is when people have security and safety to live out their lives. We want peace. But notice the angel's song. This song that is too big for the earth to contain. There was a musician named David Byrne. He wrote a book called How Music Works. And in that book, he talks about different musical genres. And how these musical genres often take on the characteristics of the space that they were designed to be sung or played in. So you think of like African drums. Right? And you hear the sound and they have this deep and, and long resonance. Because these drums were often designed to be played in open air environments. They needed to be able to carry across a large, uh, large environment. They needed to be able to, to be uh, resonant and, and full of sound in an outdoor space. Or you think about punk music. Punk music designed to be played in these like basements in New York City and how that shape and that space gives it a certain sound. And I think about this song, this song that fills the heaven, this song that is too big for earth. The way to peace, the way towards the thing that we're all longing for according to Luke chapter 2 is the first words, the first lines of the angel's song, glory to God in the highest heaven. And friends, what we often find, both in our culture and in our own lives, is we want this second line. We want the peace. We want peace among those who he favors. We want peace on earth and goodwill to men. Yes and amen. But what we often find is we skip that first line, glory to God in the highest heavens. Friends, the way to peace is to give God glory. And what does it mean to give God glory? Like, what, what does that actually entail? In the Old Testament, the glory of God is a, is a noun that often describes the manifest presence of God. Exodus 24, verse 15, it says, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. Exodus describes this glory as like this enveloping cloud. It says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of all the people. 
And so when this text is referencing the glory of God, they're talking about this like drastic and very obvious presence. And so for us, what does it mean to live according to the glory of God? What does it mean for us to do this in order to make the way to peace? Friends, to give glory to God is to live in light of his presence and to be shaped by it. You know what's so funny about the people in the Exodus, and this is so true throughout the biblical story, is you would think that seeing a mountain enveloped by a holy fire would be enough to sustain you for the rest of your life. Like, you would have moments where you're like, ah, do I believe in God? Do I trust him? Do I think he can do all the things I need him to do for me? Well, you know, there was that one time I saw a cloud of fire that consumed a mountain. Yeah, I remember that. And what we see is that the glory of God is not just about God sort of doing these cosmic miracles and saying, look how big and strong I am. The glory of God is not God's presence out there. The glory of God is God's presence drawing near to us. And friends, this is a theme of Advent. It is the very name that God takes upon God with us, Emmanuel. And one of the themes of the scriptures as they run throughout is that God will draw near to his people. God wants to be where you are. And so in order to live to the glory of God, is to simply live in light of his presence. The Apostle Paul describes like that glory, that fire that consumed the mountain has now taken up residence in our hearts. If we say yes to Christ Jesus, the Spirit makes our hearts his temple. It makes our lives the place where he dwells. And so to live according to the glory of God, to make the way for peace, is simply to live in light of that presence and to be shaped by it. When God comes in, he transforms our hearts. He transforms the room. And Jesus comes to earth to show us the fullness of the glory of God. And I think it's so powerful and so interesting, the thing we're going to see next. Now, isn't it funny that Luke says, you will see a baby in a manger and this will be a sign to you. You know what could have been a sign to the shepherds in Luke 2? The angels and the multitude of heavenly hosts singing in the heavens? Right? Like, that would have been enough for me. It's like, actually, I, I think I've got my sign. I'm good. And so, for us, we have to see this profound thing that the Bible is doing. The sign, the fullness, the revelation of God's glory is not God thundering in the heavens. It's not Him showing us how big and how majestic He is. But the glory of God is this, Luke 2.15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Friends, the glory of God is not God demonstrating his strength. The glory of God is God giving himself to us. In, in, in the, seriously the most vulnerable state you could ever be in in your life, a baby lying in a manger like, we hear this story so much that it sort of takes on this familiarity that ruins the story for us. God himself had to have his diapers changed. God himself, I don't know if he made poop jokes, but we see where the kids get it now. Friends, don't miss that. 
The glory of God is not the angels singing in the heavens. The glory of God is God with us. God living our life. God overcoming and taking on our struggles. And so what all of this means is that there is a way to peace. There is a way to hope. There is a way towards the thing that God has for you. Not because you're suddenly going to figure it out, but because God himself comes to you. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to draw near to you. And this is who Jesus shows us that the Father is. He shows us at every turn that God is unfailing and unending love. And so this Christmas, I hope that you see that God has made a way to the peace that we all want. The peace that is good and beautiful that we long for. It may take on a different shape for us as it did for the people who expected a Messiah that was going to conquer their enemies. It may not mean that God works out every detail in your life that you just get to live your best life in 2020. You know, all the amazing things, a lot of, lot of mindfulness, a lot of self-care, all that stuff. It may, it may work out to where God is calling you to live as he did, to give of yourself unendingly. But what you'll find is that there is a way to peace. A way towards the goodness of God. And it says, When the shepherds saw this, they made known to them, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. So, friends, this idea that we long for, that we seek, that we want peace, is not something God is dangling over our heads and saying, You'll never get there. It is God inviting us to live by his glory for the peace that he infused into the world when he made it and he promises is coming anew in his son. And Jesus, as we read in the the Nativity, the book that we read for our kids, Jesus will later say, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And so there is a way to peace this morning. And that's the big peace, the big societal and cultural peace that we long for, the security and safety. But friends, that's the peace that meets you right in your individual struggles. And so I invite you just to consider, how does Jesus make peace? How does he live to the glory of God? He gives of himself. He reveals God fully. He makes himself vulnerable. He says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing on a cross. Jesus lives to the glory of God because that is the way to peace. How does Jesus reveal himself as a king, as the one who is truly the Lord of all the earth, the one through whom the world came into existence? He gives of his life. He doesn't conquer his enemies. He doesn't shed blood and show his, his like, magnificence and how strong he is. He stretches out his hands and allows himself to be crucified on behalf of all the world. How does Jesus give God glory? He lives every moment of his life alive to the beauty and the faithfulness of the Father. And so, friends, there is a way to peace this morning. And it is Jesus himself. It is the life that he has already lived on our behalf. It is the life that he gives on the cross. And it is the life that he takes up again in his resurrection. And this Christmas season, I I pray that you can begin to see in your longings that God is wanting to become king in your life. That often we want the peace and we know the problem. We know what we experience. We know what we want to be fixed. But we miss that first part. And so I just leave you with this question this morning. What does it mean for you to live to the glory of God?
to live in light of his presence and to be shaped by it. Because I promise God will come to you. He will take up his residence in whatever state you're in, whatever mess you've made, whatever goodness you've established, God is coming to you. God with us, Emmanuel. Let us pray. Beautiful Jesus, thank you for this story, God, with its endless implications, God. God, thank you for this story that is, is so far beyond anything we would have ever imagined. God, is so much better than the story we would have written for ourselves. God, we would have written a story where you are a conquering God, where you, you, you are far off and you rule the world and you do all the things that a God should do and you make us live the best life that we could ever imagine. But what you give us instead is yourself. God, what you give us instead is you come to us and you offer us the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace. God, you take upon yourself our brokenness. You take upon yourself our sins. God, and you put them on a cross. You put them on your son in order that you might fully reveal the glory of God. So this morning in this Christmas season, God, as we, as we look towards your birth, may we ask the question, God, where does your glory need to come in? Where do our hearts need to join with the angels and the multitudes and sing glory to God in the highest heaven and peace upon earth, on earth where his favor rests, Lord? Where do we need to hear the good news that will be for all the people? That's not the news of empires, not the news of worlds that we would build for ourselves, God, but it's truly the news of your good son. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in your beautiful name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.